This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Now, come January, when uh, summer is in full swing and you're thinking, I might take a trip somewhere out of Melbourne, break my routine, go somewhere new, see something different, maybe you should uh, book some tickets for the Sydney Festival, which is running from the 6th to the 28th of January 2018. The festival program was recently launched. Joining us on the line to tell us all the details, Festival Director Wesley Enoch. Wesley, good morning. Good morning, Richard, and what a great morning it is. It's certainly a, 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 a lovely day knowing that uh, we've woken up to a country in which uh, marriage equality is that step closer. So, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, I know my Facebook feed was already last night starting to fill up with uh, a few engagement announcements and so forth. Uh, can we expect <laughs> wedding bells in your future? Oh, no. I th- oh, look, this is, I think weddings, uh, marriage is a very personal thing. Uh, I've never really been that attracted to the idea of marrying my partner. We've been together 10 years and it's not, it's not in our, our future necessarily. But what it is is about our choice, isn't it? And that's, that's the big thing is about choice that we as citizens get to the ability to choose what we want to do and how we want to do it and respect everyone's kind of views in that way as well. So I'm all for it. Now, let's speak about choice. I wanted to talk about how you choose works for your festival program. Obviously, mm-hmm. every city uh, and every festival is different. Cities have personalities. They have cultures of their own. So you can't uh, take uh, what works in one festival and drop it into your own program and expect it to work there. What's the your curatorial framework for Sydney Festival? I think there's two things. One is I have very big ears, so I like to listen to things. I like to listen to people and listen to works. I was once given the advice, you only get to program one thing in a hundred that you get exposed to. And so you get to just expose yourself to as much as possible, either through you know, researching on the internet, seeing shows live, uh, recommendations from folk. And so for me, it's really about responding to the zeitgeist, to use that overused word, but the sense of I believe that artists are connected to community and big community ideas in a kind of osmotic relationship. They they kind of are responding to what's around them. And so I'm listening to artists and my own personal fascinations and their fascinations and how they come together. So uh, one of the big things for me is Indigenous culture. So I go, well, that's a, a personal fascination for me. And I'm listening to artists who are talking about that, either it's through language or through cultural con- uh, continuity. Um, uh, so, so there's a big Indigenous program that we're calling the Black out, um, which comes back from uh, when you have a whole lot of um, Aboriginal people together, we often will call it a blackout. So we're kind of doing that and some great works there. Um, Jimmy Barney, who played um, Eddie Marbo in the, in the Marbo uh, television um, uh, miniseries. Uh, he's he became the hereditary chief of his island two years ago on the death of his father, and so he's made a show about passing on culture to the next generation. And it's got him, his mother, his grandmother, two brothers, and his son on stage, and they're talking about the continuity of culture. So that's a really big thing for me. Um, there's also a sense of. Sydney wouldn't be Sydney if it didn't have, you know, a, a kind of hedonist kind of position as well. Um, it's interesting, the, the early days of the colony, there were two things. There was the repression of the red coats and there was the rum and the hedonist of the rum. And so the, the Meriton Festival Village where we take over Hyde Park and put in a Spiegel tent and lots of big kind of fun things to do. Um, we're bringing over Patty Bliss and her show called Riot. And people might know Patty Bliss. She was a fantastic Irish drag queen, which 
which she, she was fantastic in the marriage equality discussions in Ireland and she was great she gave us some Facebook um, fodder and stuff like that to talk about our same-sex marriage issues here um, and she's bringing out a show called Riot which is basically a fun response to the the, the Irish culture the, one of the highlights for me is the piss take of river dance that they do the fantastic <laughs> acrobatics and and cause panty bliss herself but some of the big shows Tree of Codes which Melbourne had at the Melbourne Festival just recently is coming to Sydney which is fantastic and if you missed it in Melbourne come on up because it is one of those really beautiful collaborations between three really high profile artists Wayne McGregor Oliver Eliason and Jamie XX and in fact the, the XX are touring through in January so you can come and see them um, uh, in Sydney as well as Melbourne there's also some uh, the Worcester group doing the Town Hall Affair where nor- the, uh, in the early 70s Norman Mailer and Jermaine Greer were part of a town hall meeting talking about the role of feminism and there was a documentary made of it and the Worcester group the fantastic experimental theatre group from New York have reinvigorated um, that conversation to make this theatre work and in fact Jermaine Greer is going to come out and, and watch herself performed on stage and give a keynote address about it as well so that'll always be interesting I think. Now one um, of the to, I, to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in and cut you off for a moment there because I wanted to segue do. from you, the fact that you just mentioned the early settlement of, of, of Sydney and the Redcoats yeah. and the rum and so forth. That's part of, of Sydney history but there's a work uh, in the festival that you've programmed that responds to early Sydney history and the clash between invaders and Indigenous culture. And it's a work which also picks up a a couple of the other themes of the festival, so Indigenous culture, but also uh, Mm -hmm. the concerns around the environment and so forth. This is a work called 4,000 Fish, which references the fact that in the early days of settlement, uh, the the colonists hauled out 4,000 fish in one day from Sydney Harbour, more than they could eat. So this example of, of overconsumption and environmental uh, kind of catastrophe, effectively. And this is being recreated as a, a as an ice sculptural interactive piece. It's a fascinating <laughs> blending of elements. Well, what we're doing is encouraging the people of Sydney or the visitors to Sydney to come down to the harbour to fish out water from the harbour and freeze it into the shape of a fish. And we're trying to get to 4,000 fish that we can return to the harbour. So these fish sculptures get taken out into... Um, we're going to have a floating sculpture in the middle of the, uh, the Nawi Cove, which is part of um, Barangaroo uh, in the Sydney harbour, and that you put these frozen fish into this Nawi or a... a a canoe and let them melt back in and hear the story of Barangaroo herself. Um, she was incensed by this uh, netting of 4,000 fish and because it did two things. One, yes, it ro- robbed the future of a meal, but it also stopped the female economy around fishing because women normally did the fishing and that um, that the Aboriginal men were just dumped with this fish and they no longer went back to the women. They would go to the colonists then and say, oh, give us more fish then. And the women suddenly had no economy, no kind of way of of um, uh, continuing their practice of fishing. So the, really complex ideas there. And for us too, this notion of returning to the harbour uh, in a spiritual sense, these 4,000 fish and saying that we understand um, the repercussions of that action. There's... 
one of the other things that the festival is doing too is responding to the... Obviously, it's responding to the culture we live in, but one of the aspects of contemporary culture is the the fact that we all feel a little bit more time poor than we did 10 or 15 years ago, and that's possibly just because we're wasting half our days pulling our phones out of our pocket and flicking through Facebook or something. <laughs> but you've responded to that notion of, of time poor by creating short but uh, meaningful art experiences. Yeah, I like to call it the cultural speed date. Things you can do in five or ten minutes. We've got um, a fantastic group of artists actually from Melbourne who have made a VR ghost train. So you get into a ghost train, you've got a VR headset on, so the whole world, you are physically moving through the space in this, you know, the ghost carriage, the ghost train carriage, but you're in a VR world so that it's got that very interesting experience. We've also got a, a karaoke carousel so that you choose a song and get on this carousel and kind of travel around singing the song, which I'm looking forward to the uh, Disney Princess afternoon that we're planning. <laughs> so get people down into that. Um, there's also um, uh, an artist, Joff, who's doing the 10-minute dance party where he's training up young DJs and you get you and about 50 people get locked into a shipping container that's air-conditioned, I should say, and they, they DJ the 10 best minutes of the best dance party you've ever been to and you just dance like a maniac for 10 minutes. So there's lots of those kind of little engagements along the way that you can come to, which we're calling the, the Village Sideshow. So you come again to Hyde Park to see some of those. And then there's also the About an Hour program, which is an opportunity for Sydney Festival to present a range of impactful work, slightly longer than 10 minutes, but again, that kind of more accessible, bite-sized piece of theatre, which I would imagine also appeals to a younger audience who may not want to pay top dollar for the major international imports, but for a, a one-hour theatre production, for example, they can come and feel that they're getting their money's worth and that they're getting uh, a, a rich cultural experience. Yeah, and about an hour, what it, what, it, what it says on the can is what you get. A show about an hour, but it's also about, yes, it's about an hour. It's one of the lowest tickets that we offer, so it's about 40 bucks. And you get to see some amazing companies like Uterung Goot from, from Belgium. You can see Paul White and, and Narelle Benjamin do a fantastic dance work that was premiered in Stuttgart and hasn't been in Australia yet, um, as well as see the fantastic acrobat, uh, who's um, an Albury-Wodonga-based uh, circus company, who we don't see much in Australia because they're very avant-garde circus. And uh, we're saying, come along and be part of the Sydney Festival. Take a risk because that's what festival's are all about. Push yourself a little bit further. Ex- expand your horizon. And, you know, it might, you might feel uncomfortable at times, but that's what a festival is. I love the fact that uh, as part of that about an hour program, you've programmed some works that I have already seen and absolutely adore, one of which is The Last Great Hunt, the the kind of indie super group from yeah. Perth, their work Monroe and Associates, which is this immersive uh, film noir experience from an audience of one contained within a caravan. It's just a brilliant piece of work. And it's a, it's a kind of one-on-one improvisation because there's an actor who can play every character on the end of a phone or sometimes even visit you. And that they, they tell you straight away, this is us playing together. The more the audience member um, asks outrageous things or, or tries to find information, the more the actor can play with you and make the experience even deeper and bigger. I mean, the other show that people might know from Melbourne that's coming to Sydney is Wild Boar, which is pretty, pretty out there. And I think every theatre critic in the country wants to see this show to see whether they've been quoted or not. <laughs> I was deeply disappointed to discover that I hadn't been quoted, although I did get to record <laughs> the, the opening and closing voiceover, so I got my voice into the show in one way or another. 
So oh, right. there's an enormous amount of uh, to talk about in the 2018 Sydney Festival program. We can't talk about it all in detail, but I of just course. wanted to wrap up, uh, Wesley, by talking about the fact that you're continuing a commitment to circus as an art form uh, with yeah. uh, Circus City, which is not only presenting uh, rich and uh, exciting works like Model Citizens by Circus Oz, but is also has this parallel program for the circus sector so they can have forums, conversations and training programs as well for both the general public and circus artists. Absolutely. I mean, I think circus is one of those um, under-celebrated art forms in Australia. We are known internationally as leaders in circus, but within our own country, uh, much of our circus is seen as, you know, um, populist art form that happens over there somewhere. And I, I would say easily some of the best circus in the world is coming from Australia at the moment. And if we can create an environment of discussion, debate, training, sharing of ideas, we can continue the great work that we're doing. If you want more details about the 2018 Sydney Festival, it's running from the 6th to the 28th of February. Jump online, sydneyfestival.org. Oh, January. Uh, January, I'm sorry. Yes, it is right in front of me. I'm apparently unable to breathe this morning. <laughs> 6th to the 28th of January, sydneyfestival.org.au for more details. Jump up, have a weekend or a week in Sydney and see great art from Sydney, Australia and from around the world. Wesley Enoch, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Richard. I'm running a little bit behind schedule, but we'll get there in the end. What is time? It's an abstract concept invented by humans to divide the day. Speaking of abstract concepts, liminal. What do we mean by liminal? Well, in this instance, rather than talking about liminal spaces, we're going to talk about an exhibition called Liminal on at 45 downstairs. Uh, artist Liza McCosh joins us now in the studio. Liza, welcome to Triple R. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. Now, you're based down in Warrnambool, so I really appreciate that you've made the trip up today to, to come and chat to us. To what degree, to what extent does the environment of Warrnambool, the coast, the ocean, the region inform your artistic practice? Oh, it greatly informs my artistic practice and has done for several um, years, probably close to three decades. Um, I work a lot with the elements, uh, earth, air, fire and water. And of course, it's a beautiful rugged coastline where I live. But I also worked for several years in Geelong at Deakin University, uh, which required me to travel right across the plain up to Geelong. So as many will know, it's a volcanic plain. So uh, the volcanic area has really influenced my work as well. Well, that's um, certainly where the fire comes in, I presume. It does, it does indeed. And uh, and I grew up around the rim of uh, uh, Tower Hill, which is a volcanic area. Um, uh, Ma down in uh, about 10 minutes from Warrnambool. So, um, yeah, but the uh, the, um, the elements are sort of really predomin- predominate that whole landscape. So it, it's, it's of great influence to me. So in Liminal, you're, obviously you're not presenting that landscape literally. No, kind of, no, not at all. So you're not a, a figurative landscape painter or anything like that, but no. you're drawing upon those kind of the the power of the elements then. Yes, yes. I do a lot of um, excursions um, in my local environment, so I'm really interested in the in-between spaces that landscape can present and that's where the title liminal comes in. It's sort of like a threshold experience. So where the landscape sort of informs you or um, poses questions to you or, you know, um, makes me think of the history of the landscape and what's gone on um, in that 
environment over you know hundreds of thousands of years so so it's sort of it's very much inspired by the landscape and there are literal pieces that crop into it uh that you know that pop into the work but it's very much um abstract based but inspired by by those in-between spaces that we experience so one of the in-between spaces that people will be familiar with is perhaps the beach because that the shoreline that that uh, it's not quite land and it's not quite water. And if people go to www.45downstairs.com, they can see a couple of examples of your work. And one of those paintings immediately makes me think of the aftermath of a wave on the beach. So when the, the, the traces of foam left on wet sand. Yes, yes. And, and the detritus and little bits that, the, you know, that the ocean may wash up. Um, yes, that's that's very much associated to liminal um, but I, I use it in, in in different terms as well for that threshold experience that, that we feel. And what kind of mediums are you, are you painting in? Are these oils um, or...? It, some some works I paint in oils. Um, I do like to paint in when I've got a lot more time. I like to paint in just purely acrylic because I like that uh, process of the water cycle to actually become part of the work. So, in my PhD work, for instance, I it, uh, I would have a painting going for months where I would just pour literally pour a lot of water on the on the canvas. The canvas would be laying flat on the floor and, it, it, you know, it would depend on the weather, whether it was a really hot day or really cold, whether I was working in winter, as to um, how quickly that paint and material would evaporate so that the actual elements became part of the process of the painting. So... So you're, you're sacrificing uh, control of the work. Um, exactly, exactly. Um, I let go of skill-based stuff and I let the material inform me. But there are there are times within the painting where I step back in and say, "Whoa, I really like that little area over there," or I'll I'll um, crop this work and I'll use that bit because it reminds me of that day I was walking on the beach. Blah blah blah. You know. So the material very much informs me, and it's 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 a hard thing sometimes for an artist to let go of that skill mm. because we're all, you know, most artists are trained and do have that skill base and, and can paint figuratively, but it's much more exciting not to. Yeah, well, for me, that's perhaps a sign of greater artistic control uh, and awareness of your medium, the fact that you are willing to surrender that control, direct it occasionally, but kind of use the... the as you say, the wind conditions, the heat of the day, all those things to let them inform the work and you then become the medium through which yeah. they're channelled and directed. That, that's exactly right. And I think envirom- environmentally it's important um, not to master the landscape or to master things and to sort of give into it and well, sort of co-emerge the, the with it. The damage we've done to the planet is because we've tried to master it, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. So you, as an artist working in this way, you tend to sort of co-emerge with the material. The material is just as important as your skill base. The exhibition that we're discussing is called Liminal. It's on at 45 downstairs, uh, created by artist uh, Liza McCosh, who's my guest in the studio. In terms of when you create, uh, is it 
are you, for example, are you creating kind of uh, outside of the studio, kind of on plain air, uh, or are you um, create bringing the studio and the ideas and what you've witnessed kind of from outside into the studio? With I, you? I bring them from outside into. I, I have done some plein air and I've taught plein air painting as well, um, but I I like to gather. Um, materials on my excursions and I like to be really aware of how the environment affects my senses and I think if you're if you're struggling with the material out in the open it's much harder to sort of um, be aware of how the environment is affecting you sensually so yeah I'm, I'm more studio based. What kind of things do you bring back to the studio with you? Are we talking seaweed, rock, stone, leaves? Uh, yes, I do, which is not a really good thing as an environmentalist to <laughs> dislodge things from the environment, but I have done that on occasion and I've got rocks from the Flinders Ranges that I'm determined I'm going to take back and replace at some stage. Um, but I, I take a lot of photographs and I take a lot of notes um, yeah, so mainly that that sort of thing, yeah. If people want to see the outcome of this process of studying the landscape, occasionally taking notes, occasionally taking kind of artefacts from it into the studio and then letting the creative conditions inform the work, uh, the outcome of all of this you can see in Liza McCosh's paintings in the exhibition Liminal at 45 downstairs on now until the 25th of November. Tuesdays to Fridays, 11am to 5pm. Saturdays from midday to 4pm at 45 downstairs, 45 Flinders Lane in the CBD. Admission is free. Liza McCosh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. And my next guest has joined us in the studio. Uh, Faustina Agoli is performing in Melbourne Theatre Company's uh, production, The Father. It's an STC co-production. So that means that by the time it's come to Melbourne, it's already been road tested and tightened. So Melbourne <laughs> audiences get the best possible version. You're right. You're right, Richard. Good morning to you. Good morning. Welcome and thanks for joining us here in the studio. Thank you. So... I'm, am I correct in thinking that this is your main stage debut as an actor? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> this is my first time in in the theatre since high school, actually. Um, and, um, yeah, I've just been doing a lot of training and acting on and off. And uh, I got lucky with uh, getting an audition for a part for this Sydney Theatre Company, Melbourne Theatre Company uh, production of The Father in January of this year. And it was during the US pilot season, of course, and I was uh, putting self-tapes down for... Um, interesting American television shows. I wouldn't say that I wasn't. I was super passionate about a lot of those projects, but then as soon as this email came through, I jumped at the opportunity because I, I actually, in, in making the decision to want to act, I actually wanted to to start in the theatre. So it was quite fortuitous that the email came through and that I did love the play as well. I was going to ask, was mm. it the, the play that caught your attention, the script itself? Was it the opportunity to work with an actor like John Bell, for example, whose performances are, are being praised in, in this show? And he's a, a wonderful actor and we haven't seen enough of him as yeah. an actor perhaps over the last few decades because he'd been running Bell Shakespeare. Mm. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I would have to say though, and to be completely honest, I was so naive about um, John Bell. I actually did not know who he was because I came from a, a completely different universe of music television and um, and entertainment that I, I call them I call myself a popcorn viewer <laughs> so I, I was not aware of John Bell's legacy at all and um, perhaps it worked to my advantage because 
um, my naivety in that made made me not um, revere him before the audition process and it wasn't my undoing in the audition process. What I was attracted to actually was was the writing and the script and the opportunity of working. I... And, and not knowing who anybody who I'd be collaborating with, uh, you know, if I got the part, I, I didn't know who I was going to be collaborating with. So I just went in there with the pure intention of, of playing an honest role with, as a caregiver in, in this play. And um, then I got the part and it was only after I got the part the next day and I started telling some of my um, well-cultured uh, a lot more cultured uh, than me, Sydney friends. I, I said, "Oh, I, I got this play in Sydney Theatre Company, and I'm working opposite this um, Shakespeare guy named John Bell." <laughs> and their mouths just hit the ground, and they're like, "What? That is an amazing opportunity. Are you serious? This, he's like a living legend." And then would start telling me about his his um, his legacy and and his career, and I was like, "Oh, okay. This is actually a very big deal. Okay, great." What fascinates me is not mm. that you didn't. No, Bell, and why should you? Because, as you say, you've come from a different world of, of TV hosting and those yeah. kind of gigs. But think, yeah. the opportunity to then, for as uh, a developing actor, to work opposite such a yeah. skilled actor, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that, like, A, the this is essentially a masterclass in performance Big that time. you are taking part in. But then also the opportunity, because good actors play the role subtly differently every night. So mm. having the chance to kind of temper your performance to match the tone of Belle's performance each night, again, must be such a, a really intriguing professional experience. Yeah, you're so right. I literally am observing him, Richard, every single day. I, I call him the evergreen. And, um, you know, actually what was probably most professional found and where I got the best learning was during the rehearsal process of five weeks. John has admitted publicly that this play has been really difficult for him because um, it is so different to Shakespeare. You know, it, it is, um, it's a very modern play. Uh, sentences aren't complete. There's a lot of ellipses, dot, dot, dots everywhere, and each of them means something different. Um, and uh, for, for John to memorise that, that's been quite tough. So to see him grow through that process across five weeks in the rehearsal room and then to put it onto stage has been quite profound. Um, I think it, it's, it's wonderful to see um, all the colours that can kind of, kind of come out of this man um, <clears throat> from, a, from a position where he has admitted that it's been quite difficult, so it's nice. And it, perhaps also difficult on another level, not only because it's the, the rhythm and the language and the, the style of the play is capturing contemporary cadences and contemporary speech Big time. Uh, as opposed to sh- kind of Shakespearean language but also he's playing an elderly man who's uh, essentially losing not only his mind but his world his yes. memories are fading and falling away and this man is increasingly lost in time and and for, uh, within himself so that I would imagine must also be challenging for any actor to play to 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 essentially tap into your own fears about mortality. Yeah, yeah, he, he has admitted that too. Um, you know, uh, he's, you know, uh, in his 70s now, um, he, he knows that it's, uh, it's something that it does terrify a lot of his peers and himself and he has been touched by it in, in his own personal life through family members. So, um, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's just the, the, the looming thing of, of all of us, you know, the possibility of losing... Our sense of agency, our sense of locus is quite frightening, isn't it? Does your character mm. have much agency in the play? I think she does, actually, yeah. Uh, the character's name is Laura. Uh, she is a caregiver. She's kind of the last resort for the family to, to see whether or not he can be cared for at home. And um, 
uh, I come in and uh, what we realised from from rehearsing the play was that um, because it is so weighty and uh, because it is about the topic of ageing, uh, she is kind of the, the only buoyancy and, and life force that, that comes in to, to, the, to the piece. So, uh, um, you know, for, for me, uh, preparing for this role, I actually had to treat it like a medical play f- for myself. All the other actors did, didn't and they didn't have to because they were playing family members and what have you. But for, for me, I had to read books and, and seek professional advice and I, I had a... A, psych- a psychologist associated with with um, uh, any questions I, I wanted to ask about aging, and um, to bring that knowledge into the room. So it might not be obvious to, to many people, but um, but you can tell in the in, in the nuance and and in the way that I respond to John, as opposed to other families responding to John. That I there is a level of understanding. She's not an entirely enlightened caregiver. I, I, say that she is flawed but um in terms of giving him a sense of dignity and um joy um laura is that person for him yeah i think flawed characters are much more interesting than absolutely uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, speaking to a, a lot of actors they sometimes say that often the re, the the process of research and, and developing and discovering a character is sometimes their favorite part of the work kind of when you're in a mm. long run it starts to become a little bit repetitive night after night and some of that passion fades so what for mm. you has been more exciting the research process or performing on stage wow i think all of it because everything's so new for me uh you know and i'm asking still very basic questions of the a- actors and you know um and and the actors are surprised because they've been trained at NIDA and and they've been learned you know been doing this for 25 years so um when I'm asking them questions they're like oh yeah you're new to this aren't you and and so so I think everything's exciting for me but particularly I would say yes the research was a joy and I think coming from a music hosting background that's what I enjoyed as well was researching artists sometimes for a week on end to make sure that that 10 minute interview with Alicia Keys was on point and I wasn't going to waste a single second of that so that all of it could go on air so um so with this I I I loved being thorough in my research and rolling around in, in books and DVDs and learning as much and there's you can always learn with the role of caregiving and I think that was the great gift that was bestowed on me for this play was not playing a family member, playing somebody in a profession and in a profession where there's going to be constant dialogue about ageing and um, still news and and discoveries um, and things that I could bring to, to the role. Absolutely, you're right. Yep. Why did you want to make the jump from hosting uh, music TV programs and the like to acting on stage mm. or acting on TV? Yeah, I think for, for me I'd, I'd hosted video hits on, on Network 10 for five years and then I, I did, you know, a, a lot a more broadly entertainment-based show called The Voice for, for a couple of years. Um, and what I was craving for was that same sense of connection and spark that I had early on in video hits where everything was new for the first time and I was learning. I felt like I wasn't perhaps learning too much anymore with video hits um, and I I craved that, that sense of connection to story and um, to an audience. And... I mean, I I was kind of curious about acting and it really wasn't until I started getting auditions and realising I wasn't that great and and needed to to get a bit of training um, and and humbled myself to learn the craft and that's when it got exciting, was when I needed to learn something new again. I love that. I love being a a new kid on the block and and having to understand things and ask very simple questions for for the first time. Yeah. Creative challenges are often the best challenges. Yeah, forever a student. Yeah. 
The MTC's production of The Father is on now, running until the 16th of December uh, in the Fairfax studio at Art Centre Melbourne. You can book by going to mtc.com.au or you can call 86880800. That's 86880800 or mtc.com.au to see Melbourne Theatre Company and Sydney Theatre Company's co-production, The Father. I've been talking with Faustina Agoli. Thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank you, Richard. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.